and I guess we are starting a new series today. Um, so the, the topic that we'll be discussing and talking about, sorry, it's not a discussion. The topic that we'll be um, going through today is uh, discipleship. And we're just going to unpack what that, I guess, means and, and um, what does it mean to be you know, a, a disciple. But I firstly just wanted to start off by this definition that I found online, and I thought it was actually a really good summary of not only what we're going to be talking about, but also what is discipleship. So I'm just going to read it um, out for us. It gives us just an overall understanding of what we'll be discussing today. Um, it said, a Christian disciple is a person who accepts and assists in the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. Christian discipleship is the process by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and are equipped by the Holy Spirit who resides in our heart to overcome the pressures and trials of the present life and become more and more Christ-like. Um, when I read that, I was like, yeah, you know, that, that's pretty much what discipleship is. And that's what I want to tackle today. We're going to go through, I guess, five different points um, on discipleship and what it is um, to be a disciple. So number one and point number one that we'll uh, be going through is to be a disciple of Jesus, we must be putting Christ first in absolutely everything that we do. And I guess before I get into that, sometimes we can think discipleship is, is just evangelism, right? And, and I think when, when I was going into this, it's like, yeah, you know, discipleship, you know, spreading the gospel and um, helping other Christians um, along along their journey as well. And yes, that is definitely a part of what discipleship is, but it's definitely just one part, right? There are many different other sections to it. So we'll go through the, the five different points that I have for us. And number one is putting Jesus first in all things. Um, I'm going to be reading from a few different passages today. So if you have your Bible on you, uh, whether it's physically or through the uh, phone app, uh, pull, pull that up along with us. That'll be Starting in Mark 8, 34 to 38, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. So at the very beginning of that in verse 34, verse 34 is actually a command for us. Uh, Jesus gave reasons as to why and how to come after him. And that is through denying yourself and taking up your cross, which we're going to tackle a little bit deeper to understand what that means. You know, he, he doesn't just want us to obey him because he has the authority, but he wants us to see why we should be doing this. And again, to follow Jesus, he commands two things in this verse, to take up your cross and self-denial, which is um, then through following him, right? So firstly, what do we know about the cross? We, we know that it's a horrible way to die, and... Um, Taking up your cross means a few different things. It means you will have opposition. It means you'll be shamed. It means you will suffer. And it means death. All of those different things is what the cross means. 
So Jesus is asking us, are you willing to face opposition? Are you willing to be shamed? Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to even die for Christ and for the gospel? And he says, if you are willing, then you can be my disciple. But if you're not willing, then essentially you can follow someone else because that's the requirement. That's the first part. And the second part is self-denial. What is the self that is you? The self doesn't actually like those four different things that we just addressed. It doesn't like opposition. It doesn't like shame. It doesn't like suffering. And it doesn't like death. But self-denial means saying no to the self. You see, we grow up thinking that we don't want opposition. We don't want shame, suffering, or death in our lives. But that is your old self, the self before Christ. However, your new self says, I want Christ and I want the gospel, come what may. Whatever happens, I am willing to the point of death or for the sake of Christ and for the gospel. And you have two selves, right? And both selves want to save their life, but only one of them truly can. Your new self wants life through suffering with Jesus and your old self, your old life, wants life through escaping from Jesus. So essentially, to save your life, you're going to lose it. And to lose your life, you're going to save it. So saving your life from a, a sinful human perspective, it means the opposite of those four things. Avoiding opposition, avoiding shame, avo avoiding suffering, and avoiding death. And all of that leads to actual eternal death. You can pursue the opposite of what Christ commands. You know, you can pursue acceptance, you can pursue glory, you can pursue comfort, and you can pursue safety. But that is going to lead to a completely different life. And, and, and as we said, spiritual death. Jesus really was countercultural in the way he taught. John 12, 25 says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If you are seeking as much acceptance, glory, comfort, and safety as you can, you are not going to have that eternal life. But if for Christ's sake you embrace the cross, you will save yourself forever. Saving your life from a Jesus perspective involves death to self and taking up your cross. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Gaining the world means you lose your soul. You cannot, um, um, you cannot save your life and your soul. All the money, all the power, all the status, all the um, acceptance, the glory, the comfort, the safety, none of that has any profit. You will lose your life by trying to save it. And in verse 38 in Mark 8, the very first thing that we read, it speaks about being ashamed of Jesus and his gospel. So essentially, if you're ashamed of Jesus, it means you love the approval and the, and the glory and the comfort and the safety more than you love Jesus. You can't only love Jesus in Christian environments. You must love Jesus in all environments. And if that is you, then 
that means you are seeking the approval of essentially other sinful people. If you're ashamed of Christ and his gospel, he will be ashamed of you when he returns in glory. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Luke 14, 26 to 27 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers or sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Again, that summarizes what we've read and spoken on. Christ has to be and can only be the number one priority of a disciple of Jesus. That was the first point I wanted us to tackle. The second one is um, following Jesus's teachings. And I'm going to start by reading from John 8, 31 to 32. And it says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, many Christians proclaim that they know Christ and they believe that they are Christians. There are some who um, even believe that they're disciples of God. But in this verse, it says that true disciples of God are the ones who hold to his teachings. First Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. I want to highlight something where in the Last Supper, where Jesus was eating with his disciples, he said to them, one of you is going to betray me. Betray me. And Judas was in that room with all of them. The disciples didn't all look at Judas and point the finger at him and say, it's that guy. But they all questioned and asked, is it I, Lord? They didn't point the finger at Judas. A challenge for you tonight might be for you to examine yourself. Are you truly holding the teaching of Jesus? Or do you change regarding on the crowd that you hang around with? Because others around you might not be able to identify this in you just like the disciples couldn't identify Judas as the one. But only Christ can reveal this to you. Through your examination of yourself, it is through Christ. Examine your heart with Christ. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Again, how do we know if we are true disciples of Jesus? Only the one who does the will of the Father. Don't mistake what I'm trying to say. Salvation is the God-given gift through faith and works is the evidence of your faith. Okay? The third point that I want um, us to go through is fruitfulness. A disciple of Jesus is to be fruitful. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Our jobs as Christians is not to produce fruit. Our job is to obey Christ and as we obey Christ, the Holy Spirit produces fruit as a result of that obedience to Christ. 
but we also need to understand that we are sinners. And sometimes personally, I get lost in thinking that, you know, I'm a good person. I don't necessarily do something to harm other people. But by coming before God daily, I'm humbled by Christ. I'm brought down and Christ is lifted up. And that is not through anything that I am doing, but that is Christ's work. We must come before Christ daily to be humbled and to refresh our memory that we are sinners that can do nothing without Christ. A sinner that is redeemed, yes, but as someone who still has flaws. And these flaws will never be removed by our own strength. You know, it's okay to not be okay. If you're struggling with something, it's okay to not be okay, but you just can't stay there. We can't stay there. You want to change, you need Christ. If God is one of many things in your life, then forget about change because Christ has to be the focal point of your life and everything else becomes secondary. As we become more obedient to the Lord and learn to walk in his ways, our lives will be changed. The biggest change is going to take place in our hearts. And then there's going to be an overflow of this change through our conduct, whether that's um, uh, thoughts, words, actions. Um, and that is a representation of that change. My question is, is, is our production of fruit in our life based on our definition of good? Or is that based on God's definition of good? You see, we have this image in our head that being good is just not being bad. Um, and I'll give you an example for this. I'm sure you've experienced this as a young kid. You know, you'd have, um, when you were younger, your parents would be leaving the house and they would say to you, while I'm gone, make sure to be a good boy or a good girl. And when they come back, they'll say, were you a good boy or were you a good girl? And you reply to them saying, yes. But the question is, what did I do to call myself good? Did I make food and feed the homeless? Did I cut my neighbor's lawn? No, I didn't even think about those things. My view of good is just not doing bad. I was good because I didn't do bad things. And that's how we see goodness or fruitfulness as the absence of bad. But that is not what it is. We are to step into Christ and the fruit of the spirit comes out of walking in the spirit. Fourth point for us is love for other disciples. And essentially love is all about where it stems from. John 13, 34 to 35 says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is a command from God. If you're a born again Christian, you are under the authority of Christ. You see, we like to speak about um, politics and specifically in recent times. You, know, you can say whatever you want. You can say um, Scott Morrison is bad because, you know, he's had a bad vaccination brother, perhaps. Or Daniel Andrews is bad because he's a dictator. I don't know. You might have an opinion, right? Everyone has opinions on different things. Um, and we disagree on essentially worldly authority. But you see, when you're a Christian, there is no opinion about who is in charge of your life. The fact is that Christ is the one who's in charge. And in this passage, he commands us to love one another. 
Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And we're going to go through um, the definition, as, as I think, of that verse from Philippians that we just read. When Jesus is washing um, his disciples' feet, it's actually afterwards in John 13, 12. Um, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Um, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. As Christians, we need to be on our knees washing other people's feet. But let me tell you, if you're watching, washing other people's feet and you're making sure that everyone else knows about it, it becomes worthless. You know, let God humble you and let him only take the glory. When you start seeing yourself as imperfect, as a worthless vessel that is simply used by the grace of God, then you realize that there is nothing fascinating about yourself. In all you do, Christ gets the glory. And we all struggle with pride. You know, we can say, you know, we hate the, the, the prosperity gospel, for example. But then once our life gains some difficulty and, you know, things are going bad in our world, we come with a sense of entitlement for Christ. We come before him and we say, why God, why me? Why is this happening to me? And that happens in more than just that way. You can feel entitled through your studies, through your jobs, um, from, from, from your money. But God wants you to leave that out just like he did. Come humbly. Just like um, in the fruit of the spirit, love comes first. The other fruits stem from love. But love is the controlling element for an outpouring of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, um, verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, um, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. A lack of love doesn't just diminish our impact. A lack of love completely eliminates our impact. And we all have spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts don't guarantee that you are an obedient believer or a positive impact on the church or its ministry. Don't seek out an action of love that is forced. Becoming, become a loving person through abiding in Christ's love. As you get closer to him, that is the, 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 what happens as you grow in love for Christ. To abide in something means to accept and to act in accordance with. And you can't only accept that there is a need to love, you must act in accordance with as that definition. The last um, point 
of the five that I had for us is, as I mentioned at the start, evangelism, or making disciples of others and what that looks like. And I think the, the first point that I want us to understand is that the church exists for its own development. And what I mean by that is that the church is built by the church. We are vessels of proclaiming the gospel. And Christ uses believers to bring about the salvation of other believers. And that is what the early church did. If you um, read in Acts, it mentions that the Lord kept adding to the number daily those um, who were being saved. And essentially, evangelism is the reason why Christians are in the world. But it's also a byproduct of our spiritual development. In Acts 4.29, this is the early church. Um, it says, now, Lord, consider these threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And a bit of context, they were actually being threatened by uh, Jewish leaders at that time, the early church. But they understood that this is what's what was their purpose? And we're actually going to backtrack a little bit into um, this story of the um, early church and go to Acts 2, when the, the first church was born. From verse 42 to 47, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet each other in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. This was actually a rare moment in the life of the church because there wasn't any false believers on that day of Pentecost. There weren't any fake Christians during that time. It was the, the purest expression of the church ever. You know, anything they had, they held it loosely and they saw everyone with a need. They sold, if they saw anyone with a need, they sold property possessions to give to anyone who had that particular need. Now, what's amazing about um, this story is that People up until this very day were basically Jews that had been scattered all around the world and had come to Jerusalem at that point to celebrate in the Passover. They were from all over the Mediterranean area and they didn't know each other. And yet in one day, they repented, they believed the gospel, they were justified and given the Holy Spirit to take residence in their heart. Immediately, there was a love bond that caused them to make themselves poor in order to support some other people. If you're coming into a church, church is the, is the body of Christ, it's the people. If you're coming into a church for what you can get, maybe you don't actually understand what a church is. And maybe you don't understand the gospel because the gospel doesn't make you self-centered. It makes you Christ. And you may um, be reading this and you say, well, this is just the early church. But no, this should be every church. It doesn't matter what time period. There are many elements to a church, such as fellowship, ministry, the breaking of bread, love, and lots of other different things. But evangelism is also one of those things. But evangelism is not possible if there is no purity in the church. 
Because when you are evangelizing to the world, the world will want any excuse in order to find something to not accept Christ. And don't let your actions be one of those things. They can reject Christ for whatever reason. Don't become a reason for someone to hesitate um, regarding the gospel. We should be in continual pursuit of holiness and daily devotion towards Christ. If I am of the world participating in everything else the world does, how can I proclaim the gospel? You see, when it comes to evangelism, we think it's all about great ideas and technology and developing all these different things, but it really isn't. God just wants someone who is obedient and is a good example for Christ. Effective evangelism requires holiness. Evangelism altogether requires Christ. John 17, 20 to 21 says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may may believe you have sent me. The main point about evangelism is that, and from this verse that we just read, this is Jesus praying for, for believers. We as Christians must truly love each other, not just put up with each other. We are to love each other so that the world may be, believe in Christ. And when I read, I had to keep rereading this verse because I didn't actually understand it. This verse is saying that just as Jesus and, and, and God are one, we and other believers can also be one. The standard that Christ is setting for us is crazy. We don't need more creative ways to evangelize. We need to be one with each other, just like Christ and the Father are one. And I'm not saying creative ways are wrong or bad, but the main thing is that something special happens when we are united as a church, as a body of Christ. And the point of all this is that we want to become men and women who are so attached to the vine, which is Christ, that we are able to deliver the word to the lost. And as we become attached to the vine individually, God is going to bring us together in unity. The church is going to be growing, and then it's going to be going. But a movement dies when the followers only know the founder. There are many of us in in core who are great teachers. But there are some people who just need to experience God for themselves, not just through the expression and experiences of others. How beautiful would it be if we saw a movement begin in our church to see godly men and godly women changing the world as we actually embrace each other? And they sound like big, big words, and you might be laughing in your head, but Jesus used 12 men to change history forever. All it takes is obedience for Christ. Mark 2.17 says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That is our job as well. We live in a society that says, you know, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting anyone. But you hurt people when you don't proclaim the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. We can't change other people. That is not, that's not our job. That is God's work to do. But we are to speak the truth and to speak the truth in love. You see, Jesus lived his life for others. He was caring for the needy and he was caring for the lost. He was turning away from temptations of the flesh so that he can focus on his life's purpose. He was willing to die for what he believed in and make the world have this hope that we have today. Romans 10, 13 to 15 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? I want us to examine ourselves and come before Christ, asking him what he wants from you and what he wants from me. I'm going to highlight that last part. And how can someone preach unless they are sent? What is Christ sending you towards? What is Christ wants for you? You see, because a lot of the time we come on a Friday night and we, we just want to hear from, from, from Moses, like in the Old Testament. But God is actually inviting you up the mountain so you can speak to him directly. We are just a mouthpiece as speakers on a Friday night. But God wants you and is inviting you up that mountain so you can directly speak to him. Because evangelism begins with loving Christ. And as we love Christ, we love each other. That is evangelism through example. We can evangelize in many, many different ways. And if you're unsure on how to evangelize in your world, speak to God and ask him because he wants to communicate. Ask him, in what way do you want me? What is my purpose in this life? Is it to just have a, a good career, to have a nice family and to... Um, you know, be, be satisfied in this world. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not here to judge and I'm not here to speak um, in, into that situation, but that's for God to say. Come before him and ask him, what do you want from me? And you also have Christian leaders and Christian friends in your world that you can chat with. But before you ask Christ, be careful what you ask for and be ready to accept the calling that he has for you because it really might be difficult. He might be calling you to sacrifice and have a life that is ridiculously different from anything else that you've ever seen. So before you come asking him what he wants from you, be ready to accept the calling regardless of what it is. So to summarize all we've just went through, discipleship is not only evangelism, but evangelism is a part of it. Discipleship is putting Jesus first through self-denial and taking up your cross. Discipleship is obedience through following the teaching of Jesus, no matter how difficult it gets or will get. And as you obey Christ, he will make you fruitful. Discipleship is loving God's people and becoming one with them, just like Jesus and the Father are one. Discipleship is evangelizing to the lost through what God calls you towards. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the time that we just had, Lord. And, um, we pray, Lord, that you can 
lead us on this journey, Lord, that you can help us be discipled through your word and through other Christian people in our lives so that we can go on this journey and we can um, also make disciples of all nations, just like you commanded us to do, Lord. Um, help us to know that you are in control. Help us to know that you are the authority figure in our life, Lord, and to only get things from, from you, Lord, the author of all things, Father. Take us on this journey, Lord, and, and lead us up the mountain to speak face to face with you, Lord, so that you can tell us what, what your plan is for us, Father. Help us to walk in obedience and to walk in holiness, Lord, as we um, become more Christ-like every single day, Lord. Lead us towards purpose. Lead us towards you, Lord, and help us to deny ourselves, Lord, to deny the flesh, um, and to just fo focus firmly on your desires, not our desires, Lord. If we've gone astray, Lord, from our, our purpose in this world, I pray that you bring us back, Lord, and that you convict and that you challenge us tonight, Lord. We pray and we thank you, Lord, that you're a good God, that you are just and that you are holy. Thank you for this time that we just had, Lord, and uh, yeah, your name be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.